This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the latest, the freshest edition of Tiger Stock with Chirku and Company. I am your host, Vito Geranimo Chirku, along to my usual psychic and broadcast partner and fun. That is the Doc from Doc and Jack, John Charles Macaroon. John, how are you doing? And, and by the way, we have an in-studio guest that uh, is related to you, not blood, but tell me about who we have in studio with us for this edition of Tiger's Talk 2. Vito, always great to see you. I'm looking forward to recording Tiger's Talk and Two Bad Hombres with us today. It was great the way this kind of all shook out. Uh, Kevin is married to my first cousin, Laura. He's a great guy, really good on the poker table, kind of a hustler too, kind of quiet, but then all of a sudden he shoves all his chips in and blind. You're like, wait a minute, this guy's not no sucker. He knows what he's doing. And so I kind of got a chance to sit and play poker with him, get to know him. And over the years, he's a real great guy, a real great addition to the family. Kevin Manglos is here and we had a gathering and obviously everyone in the family knows that I do podcasts and he came up and he was like, yeah, you know, ask questions, was very curious about what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, this guy's obviously going to want to come in. And so when I told him, his face lit up and he was super excited. And that's all you can ask for is that if somebody's passionate about something, I have the opportunity anytime for a family member to come talk sports. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me guys. And thank you again for that warm introduction. Uh, too kind, too kind. Good on the poker table or maybe drunk on the poker table. <laughs> um, but I'm Irish, so that's okay. And, uh, yeah, that was a, a really accurate depiction that John said. Like, I was really into it, wanted to ask him a bunch of questions. I really admire these guys for what they're doing out there. They're really following a passion. And, you know, in life, you're following a passion. You're on, you're on a good path. So thanks and for Kevin, having me. Yeah, and Kevin listens to podcasts uh, outside of Detroit sports and things like that. What podcasts do you like? Well, so... Up there with Detroit Sports Podcast, I also am a big fan of the Drew and Mike podcast. Oh. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm listening to that a lot. I do, I do listen to some of the true crime kind of go through on you know Google Play, which is uh, where Drew and Mike was. Mm-hmm. I should say Stitcher. But yeah, Stitcher was introduced to me because after our conversation, you were like, are you on Stitcher? Do you have Stitcher? And I said, I don't have this Stitcher. So I got Stitcher, and uh, now I'm getting like, hey, we think you might like this. You know, good recommendations. So I'll call myself, you know, kind of still exploring. And uh, it's really the wave of the future, and I couldn't be happier, like, with it. It's on my time. I listen when I want. Like, it, it, it's really great. And uh, Well, Kevin, glad to have you in the studio. And this episode of Tiger Talk, by the way, is brought to you by the Detroit Sports Commission and Legacy Football. Now, it's a post-World Series edition of the podcast, and a somber one for me and many Tigers fans out there because the Boston Red Sox won with Dave D. leading the way, Dave Dombrowski, that is, for the Boston Red Sox, John. And that was it was despicable for me to see them celebrate and win the series this year in five games, Doc. I'm so glad you brought that up, and I'm glad we're starting the podcast talking about this because, you know, when... The Boston Red Sox won all over Twitter, all over social media. What you saw was a bunch of Tiger fans, you know, saluting Boston because there were so many uh, former Tigers on that roster. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not giving kudos to them. Are you kidding me? They were here and they didn't bring us the the goods. So I'm not going to congratulate J.D. Martinez, Rick Porcello, David Price, and especially not Dave Dombrowski. They're not part of the Tigers anymore. Now, do I wish ill will on them? Of course not. But all this praise that I saw online really upset me. It's like, look, 
We have a team now in Detroit. They're rebuilding. These guys moved on. Some were traded. Dave Dombrowski obviously unceremoniously fired. And I say to myself, why is everybody showering the Boston Red Sox with love? They're your biggest competitor, and they're a team that's going to be around for so long. Am I being a little bit harsh, or, or, or do you say to yourself, well, you know what? Be a little bit of a nicer guy and salute the team that just won the World Series. Well, I would say this. With Boston winning of all teams, I would say you don't have to salute them at all because they beat the Tigers in 2013. And remember, I think it prevented the Tigers from their best shot at winning the World Series in 2013 when that victory happened for the Bo Sox in the 2013 ALCS. So for me, I'm somber and I'm disappointed that the Boston Red Sox win it of all the teams that could have won it this year. And they had a great season. So much respect. We have to pay our respects to them because they had a great quality ball club all season long. Best team from day one. But for me, yeah, I can see where you wouldn't like the Boston Red Sox winning. And a lot of Tigers fans going out on Twitter and just praising these guys now for winning. I wasn't congratulating these guys because I was, I was disappointed, Kevin. I mean, how did you feel about that, by the way? I was extremely disappointed. Um, I, I sat back and thought, and what it, what it brings to me is, you know, after uh, Verlander getting his last year, and now we got all these guys on Boston getting theirs, what a wasted opportunity, the, the Osmus reign. You know, that, that Illich loyalty to, you know, a losing situation. Um, if Leland was here, how many titles do we have? You know, I, I think we're definitely in the running. So it's extremely disappointing to me. And not to mention, what's with Boston? New title town. I know, they the are new Celtics, title town. They really are. The, the Patriots. And, 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 and now, now baseball, four in the last 15 years. I mean, they went a long stretch there without one, mm-hmm. but boy, they're sure making up for lost time, and, and I find it extremely disappointing. I'm, I, yeah. agree, I agree with you guys spot on. And Kevin Vito, what upsets me is that Boston basically took the Tigers' recipe and made it their own and actually got the success. You had a big payroll, you had great starting pitching, you had a big bopper and a, and a, and a bat in J.D. Martinez, you had Dave Dombrowski go out and hire a first-year manager, and Alex Cora all of a sudden is the talk of the town. And what happened in Brad Osmus's first year? He got out coached by Buck Showalter and the Baltimore Orioles, and everybody was like, whoa, you guys didn't perform well at all that first series. And all of a sudden, whatever happens in Boston turns to gold. And what we tried to do just didn't work year after year. Two appearances in the World Series that just didn't go well for the Tigers. So, yeah, screw Boston. I'm not uh, impressed with that at all. So everybody out there that's listening, that's all ranting and raving, cheering the Red Sox, focus on Detroit, man. Let let Boston do their thing. Let's stop with all the praise for uh, the Boston Red Sox. My goodness. Yeah. Well, and Boston has won enough lately. I mean, I'm not feeling bad or, you know, feel so happy for Boston for finally winning one. It's not that they finally won one. They've won one recently, including in 2013 and 04-07. All these World Series titles are piling up for the Boston Red Sox, who were a laughing stock of baseball along with the Chicago Cubs recently. And now the Tigers have a longer drought of winning a World Series than the Cubs than the Red Sox. And it is sad, in my opinion, Doc. Four World Series for the Boston Red Sox. I know. Who would have thought that? that? They are the most winning team, I mean, in the last, since 04, and the highest quality team, the team with all the pride, the tradition now, they're becoming that club that everybody wants to become and that everybody's modeling themselves after. And the Red Sox do have a good blueprint to follow. They really do because they have the good farm system, guys that came up through the farm system, and then they added free agents. They got David Price. They got J.D. Martinez. All of these guys to supplement what Mookie Betts does, Xander Bogarts, and other youngsters on their ball club, and that's why they ended up winning. And Chris Sills well in a trade so shrewd moves you know via trades free agency and big money spent as well along with growing the farm system and that's why the Red Sox have become this team that could become dynastic too like the Patriots did in New England 
And what was fascinating is a guy that was just traded to the Red Sox, Steve Pierce, wins the MVP. I know. Are you kidding me? He gets hot. And you look at it and you go, sometimes an organization needs a player to just kind of be that unsung hero to take it down. And you got to give credit, though. You know, I know earlier I said that uh, let's stop praising the Red Sox, but you got to give credit to Dave Dombrowski. He didn't go out there and get Manny Machado. He didn't bust open the checkbook after the trade deadline. He went out and made some moves for some guys that did contribute. Kudos to him. Well, getting Steve Pierce, he played, now has played for all the American League East ball clubs. I mean, think about that. This guy was a cast-off, a journeyman. Nobody thought he would produce like he did down the stretch for the Red Sox. And then the World Series to become the World Series MVP. And then if it wasn't him winning the World Series MVP, Kevin, it would have been David Price, who had three quality outings against the L.A. Dodgers, two starts, including in the clincher in Game 5, where he was awesome and he was dealing in L.A. I feel like as a Tigers fan, that would have never happened from David Price. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, I, I totally agree. And, you know... It's a what have you done for me lately, and I really think that his performance in this postseason has cured all the ills, and I, mm-hmm. I really respect and admire him as, as a dominating force. I mean, this guy has been around here since 2012 now, you know, a former Cy Young winner, uh, many appearances in the postseason, kind of shook the monkey off his back, and, and, and kudos to him, and, and good for him. And, and again, I just think that speaks to the ineffectivity of Detroit management, you know. When, when we look back at, at these times and who knows gonna, you know, who wins the World Series next year, but potentially we got another you know, Boston constructed with Detroit players team, um, we're just going to really look back at these were the really dark years. We had all of these true gems you know, in our hands. And to, to just speak about Boston again, and, and you said it, you know, they're becoming like a potentially dynastic, totally agree, and they're doing it in the face of the Yankees. I mean, yeah. when you consider what they have to overcome in that division and every year slugging it out with a team that will spend the money, a team that will pick up a guy, rent him for the end of the year, the Yankees have endless budget and endless desire to win, and the Red Sox do that in their face every year now. And, and I think that really speaks to them. They're not just cakewalking through a division. They are in the most competitive, you know, at least as far as spending divisions there is. So. And then the Bosox beat the Astros in the ALCS in five games, beat the Dodgers in the World Series in five games. Good, high-quality teams they've beaten, and the Yankees in their own division, and in the playoffs, clinching at Yankee Stadium. I mean, you had that where they beat the Yankees head-to-head, and a ton more than the Yankees beat the Red Sox head-to-head throughout the regular season. And then the Red Sox won 108 regular season games. On top of that, one of the all-time greatest teams you could say have been assembled, and by Dave Dombrowski, the former, once again, GM and team president for the Detroit Tigers, and a team in the Tigers he had that never won at all and was swept, as you said already, Doc, in 2014 by the Baltimore Orioles, who were not that good of a team to sweep the Tigers. Now, maybe to beat the Tigers, but to get swept? Come on. Now, I want to bring up something, too, because the way the series shook out, let's look at it for a second here. Boston wins two at home. They're riding high. And then you get that great epic performance where it goes 18 innings and the Dodgers make it two to one. Now you go to game four and you have a four nothing lead. And I think right there, the sentinel moment, it's great. Give kudos to the Dodgers for clawing their way back, getting that third game. Now you have game four. You have momentum and you have Rich Hill. And this is something the president even mentioned. And so I respect the president for it. I know that you had kind of put out there your thoughts about maybe the the president of the United States taking time away from his job to potentially address this. But I think he's like a fan and he has the pulpit to be able to address what happened. I think that Dave Roberts from the Dodgers made a critical mistake and overmanaged in game four. When you got Rich Hill dealing like that and you have a bullpen that's not really heralded, 
and you go out there and you pull him out without him giving up a run, I think it's a major mistake, especially with what that bullpen was not capable of doing. That bullpen for the Dodgers was a weakness of that team, and anytime they were called upon, they really didn't do a great job. So Dave Roberts, the manager, probably has to take a lot of heat for that mistake. I think a critical mistake was taking Rich Hill out of that game. We probably would still be having a World Series if... Um, the Dodgers won Game 4. Well, in Game 3, he let that youngster, Walker Bueller pitch all those pitches, a career high for himself. Now, the Dodgers got it done there, but it failed for Dave Roberts in Game 4 with Rich Hill. He could have kept him in longer, but I can see why he would have kept him Bueller longer than Hill. Hill's 39 or something. So I think he was factoring that and weighing that as well as a huge factor for why he took him out when he did, and then President Trump tweeted out and whatever you think of that. But, you know, Kenley Jansen kept failing him. Ryan Matson kept failing him. These veteran relievers for the Dodgers did not perform for Dave Roberts. And at a certain point, it comes down to the talent not getting it done. Now, was he outmanaged? I would say so by Alex Cora of the Boston Red Sox. But also, these relievers have to get it done as well for you when they were your mighty effective guys during the season. Especially Jansen. Matson didn't have the best regular season, but Jansen especially, he was your closer, your lights-out closer for a large portion of the season, and then he doesn't get it done for you. I mean, that's on Jansen, too, on the pitcher not getting it done, in my opinion, Kevin. I had read some uh, information about, you know, the the talk that um, was had on the mound with Hill, and, and Hill was doubting himself, and he said... You know, hey, keep an eye on me. Well, you're up four nothing. You're you're one out into the inning. I kind of think it falls on the manager. Is it under managing or over managing? The manager or coach or whoever it is that's leading your team needs to be able to know more than you know about yourself. Like, hey, you're wheeling and dealing here. I don't want a guy who can tie up this series for me and our team saying keep an eye on me. I I keep him out there, and and when he starts to flounder, yeah, maybe I pull him. But I, I think it may have been an under-management, you know, like make the guy dig down deep and let's see what he's made of. I don't want a guy who wants to hand off the ball in that situation. So I, just just poor management, poor, poor recognizing of, of what, what players you have, you know. And like you said, the bullpen, it's not like they had a rock-solid bullpen to go to. They were going to something that was very sketchy already. So definitely management, management flub up there. And the bullpen failed Dave Roberts, left and right. And then as a manager, you have to adjust on the fly there and then, well, allow your starting pitcher then maybe to go deeper in the game. And once again, he did it and gracefully and positively because it worked out for the Dodgers in game three and letting Walker Bueller once again throw all those pitches. Then you have this veteran arm in Rich Hill and you don't let him throw as many pitches. Now, according to Hill and to what you were saying, too, piggybacking on that, Kevin, Hill didn't really want to come out necessarily either. He left it open for Dave Roberts and just, well, appeased Roberts. He didn't say anything and speak up because he was being the nice guy, too much of a nice guy, and that's where the nice guys finished last, right? Because Rich Hill finished last, and the Dodgers now, as a runner, the runner-up for the World Series, instead of winning the World Series when they could have, and maybe if Dave Roberts would have reversed course and let some of his guys pitch longer in the games and maybe not use Ryan Matson as much as he did or Kenley Jansen in some of those spots that he did when Jansen had showcased before to you, Dave Roberts, say, hey, this, you know, he's not the guy to get it done against some of these Boston Red Sox bats and these pivotal moments, very pivotal moments down the stretch of ball games. So what was the magic of Alex Cora? Because everybody saw this first-year manager, a guy that you know was working there in Houston. This is a manager that kind of had the biggest pressure on him. I mean, a payroll of that much. Obviously, if they fell short of their goals, he was going to take a lot of blame. And Boston fans are similar to Detroit fans in that they're rowdy, they want to see a bunch of wins, and they want to see destruction. So 
it's interesting that Alex Cora, the way people talk about him, they rant and rave about him, that he's just such a smooth leader, that this is a guy that knows baseball, that even in the World Series was able to use David Price as a reliever and a yeah. starter. He made a lot of appearances, and look what happened. To close it out, Chris Sale was the guy that ended the World Series. Tell me what you think about Alex Cora and why he's such a successful manager. Well, I love the guy, but what also makes him successful in other guys is when you have all that talent. I think Doc, you and I, Kevin, all of us combined can manage that team, and we would have won a lot of games. Maybe not 108. So maybe he leads your team to winning more than 100. But my point is, I think you still won 100 ball games with that ball club. And now maybe you can say no because of the Yankees, because they had to face the Yankees so much. So maybe because of that, okay, you can say, well, the manager really mattered because the Yankees were highly talented and won 100 games, by the way, themselves. So they were no slouch whatsoever with that being said. So I think Cora deserves a lot of praise. And like Eduardo Nunez came out in the postgame after that clinching game and said that Alex Cora is the best manager he's ever played for. And Nunez has played in the league for a while. He's a veteran guy. So him saying that speaks volumes about Cora and the job he did in his first campaign as a big league skipper and whipped the Bow Sox. So give him a lot of praise, but I think you have to halt a little bit of it and think about the fact that, well, with this talent, how many guys could have won? I mean, maybe even Brad Ausmus could have won a World Series championship this year with all of that talent. What do you think, Kevin, in regards to that? Well, I think it just really speaks to uh, Alex Cora's real, he's a real, you know, players manager and whatever that recipe is to get, to get the maximum out of your, your guys, he's getting it. And, I think it really speaks to his maturity for them to hand over a team with that kind of budget to a first-year guy. I mean, he, he, he could be that guy. We could be, you know, I know it's early, but we could be looking at a guy who's setting himself up for a nice long career managing, you know, and uh, hey, he's off to a hell of a start, right? He is. You can't do any better. And then he won last year, by the way, as the bench coach of the Houston Astros. So who's doing better than him? Uh, nobody right now. And then we did, did we bring up, we brought up Brad Ausmus last week. He did get another job with the Halos. Now, if he were to win next year, I'd be really pissed. I'd be pissed out of my mind. I mean, I'd be crying all day long if that happened. Because when the Red Sox win it, and then if that occurred, which we talked about it last week, we don't see it happening. I mean, best case scenario for them, they're like a middle-of-the-road ball club that has to rebuild, and they're probably not willing to in L.A. because of Mike Trout, a guy like that leading the ball club. So before we take our first time out, we have to ask and discuss it because when you see a collection of talent that Boston assembled and you see the management, the quality management that's out there in Dave Dombrowski, did the Tigers, now looking back at it, did they pull the plug too soon? Because for me, I obviously said, and I made the conclusion on several podcasts, and I said, you know what, close the window, move on. It doesn't look like this group of talent can do it. I mean, when you don't win with Scherzer, Porcello, David Price, and Verlander, I mean, the level of pitching that you had, you don't win with that. It lends you to go, wow, how long can the Tigers sustain that level of spending without getting the World Series? Because when you spend $200 million and you don't make the World Series, you don't get the extra gates, you don't get the extra fans, it's, it's really hard on the bottom line. But you look at it and you say, well, if the Tigers organization, you know, led by the Illiches who have a lot of money, if they kept spending maybe $200 million for the for three, four more years, do you think the Tigers maybe pulled the plug a little early, and maybe are we regretting that we're now in a rebuild? Well, I'll say this. It might be one of Mike Illich's worst moves ever as Tigers owner, getting rid of Dave Dombrowski when he did. And what he did before he got fired was trying to start the rebuilding process a little bit. But it wasn't like I think Dombrowski was going for the complete overhaul. Because remember, they were good then again in 2016, so with Dave D leading the way, maybe this team would have been good in 2017 and this season as well, at least to a certain enough extent to get into the postseason. 
Now, the American League was stacked this year. So even though I just said that about Dave Dean and his powers and what he could have done with the Tigers, you know, running the show still, this Tigers team probably still wouldn't have amounted to a playoff team because of all the great ball clubs in the American League this season. And I kind of think as a Debbie Downer about the Tigers that they wouldn't have won with all these guys this year too. If those guys were in Tigers uniforms, Tigers would not have won. I just feel like that. There's some bad luck now on the Tigers' side, Kevin. Yeah, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall in, you know, the conversations between Mr. I and Dave Dombrowski. Mr. Illich, you know, here's what we're doing. Okay, Dave, here's the, here's the payroll. Spend. Now, did Dombrowski ever push back, you know, about the manager? Did he ever push back about Osmus? Was it, you know, some kind of loyalty? Because really, maybe in the end, Dombrowski was even frustrated. They've spent gobs of money. They've done this. They've done that. The only part of the recipe they could never change was the manager. So who was behind that? You know, Dave Dombrowski, obviously by his actions this year with Alex Cora, he's not afraid to take a chance. He's not afraid to pull the plug and try something new. So why was that? All these other elements were allowed to be changed, endless amount of payroll, but the manager was the constant. Yeah, loyalty. Too much loyalty there. And I think Mike I wanted Osmus gone, and he wanted Leland back as manager. Leland didn't want the job. That was the big rumor, remember, a couple of years ago. And that's why I guess Osmus wasn't ousted when he could have been before he was fired. So that's my synopsis or, you know, my theory about that, Doc. What do you think? One of the sentinel moments is you got to remember that the series in which Boston came back, you're right there. And then you, you go and you have a situation in which you go to a first-year manager. I think that's probably the biggest mistake that they made is that when you have that talent, and Dave Dombrowski believed in Brad Osmus, and that's fine. I can understand why you want to do that. A uh, young, bright manager, he looks around the league, he sees St. Louis do it with Matheny. They, they obviously see a lot of situations in which young managers relate to these players. But for the Tigers in that situation, I think Brad Osmus um, wasn't the right guy at that time for that team. You got to find if you can just do anything to get Leland to stay one more year or bring on a Larusa, somebody that understands baseball and maybe just a one year manager just to say, hey, in 14 15, we got to go all in. This is it. This is the last opportunity. When you have Brad Osmus run a team that is poised to win a World Series as a first year manager, it just, be, it just was the, the beginning of the end. And that was probably the biggest mistake that was made was hiring Brad Osmus. Well, I get why he went out on a limb, though, because he kind of did with Alex Cora, but Alex Cora at least had the one year as a bench coach with the Astros who won it all. So that was even a sexier option than Brad was. But remember, Brad Osmus, sexy looks maybe, but also realistically a sexy option to be the Tigers' manager. It just didn't work out. And the thing is, for me, they had too long of a leash for him. They should have ousted him. I didn't mind the hire. I thought it was all right, but when they let him manage as many years as he did— that was where they made their major mistake, in my opinion. One additional point, and the big difference between Cora and Osmus was, like you said, Cora had just won the World Series yeah, as, and a, as coach. a bench coach. As a coach, actually. And so, yeah. Brad Osmus, the most he had done was manage a team in Israel. Yeah, so, which, I mean, there's no Major League Baseball talent there. That's not getting into the postseason deep. That's not making quality decisions late in moments. That's not being in the fire. Look what, remember that Houston series that the, when they won the World Series? Alex Cora is sitting there watching everything, all the decisions that are made about using the pitchers and when to take batters in and out versus the Dodgers. So he'd already seen, he had experience versus the club that he already, de- that he had a history of defeating. So I think they just, when you go back in the history of time, Brad Osmus, you know, we'll see how he does now in California, but I just think that at that time, 
that move will be definitely criticized by a lot of people. You had to go out there and get experience. The best manager that you could find, a bench coach that maybe won the World Series, somebody in that era from Boston, the Yankees, somebody that had experience handling tough situations in the playoffs. And I think that's where everything went went astray for the Tigers. Maybe Ron Gardenhire, the current Tigers manager, should have been yeah. the guy back when Osmus was hired. Remember, people had spoke about Gardenhire being hired. Remember, though, with Gardy, he had all the great years of the Twins back in the day, though. He had a lot of losing seasons towards the end and never had playoff success with the Twins. They barely even made it out of the first round with him as the Twin skipper. So, Kevin, do you remember that and Gardy being a candidate? And what do you think about, I, in I, retrospect, maybe Gardy you know, haven't been the guy to hire? Yeah, I, I do remember that, and I remember it being like a slam dunk, right? Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna get Garden Hire. Um, I think he was kind of ran out on a rail after his time in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He had some mild success, and they kind of got tired of his routine. Um, but I, I definitely think he is a step in the right direction. Obviously, I, I kind of like that old school guy. You know, um, maybe not as gruff as Leland, but a little more passionate and with more know how than Osmus. My biggest problem with Osmus, and and you know, it's not it's not kill Osmus Day or you know kick Osmus, but um, I just felt he lacked passion. He seemed like a really nice guy and everything, and you know that's all well and good. But where was the passion? And and towards the end there, you know, I remember it, you know the season before he was uh, cut loose, uh, he did have a moment where he came out of the dugout, and uh, I, I I was kind of like, when where's this guy been? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, we needed that. You know, the the ship is taking on water. So where were you before? But um, I think they're heading in the right direction with Garden Hire, and uh, we'll see what he can do. He's kind of got a mixed bag of, of players right now, and hopefully him and Avila can straighten it out. And we'll see what they add, because it looks like they're not going to add much of significance to the Major League roster going into 2019 when they don't expect to win again. So I, I get that why they wouldn't spend big dollars. I just hope when it comes to time to win again, when they're relevant again, maybe in 2020, well, that they start spending the money again. That's going to be huge for me to see how Chris I handles that situation. Then we can officially judge Chris Illich as Tiger's owner, if he still is here as Tiger's owner. Okay, Vito, time for our first timeout. We'll come back in the second half of the podcast. we got to look at the Tigers' latest 40-man roster moves, the Illich organization possibly changing the way they deliver content to the fans of Detroit. And also Evan Woodbury and his article from MLive.com. Yep, Evan from MLive. I definitely am looking forward to talking about that in the second half of the podcast. You're listening to Tigers Talk on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. And Doc, two of our finest sponsors at the Detroit Sports Podcast Network are Legacy Football and the Detroit Sports Commission. And first and foremost, our newest sponsor, let's give some love to the Legacy Football Organization, which was founded in 2009. And Legacy is the premier off-season development program in the state of Michigan, in the Midwest, and in the entire country. And the Legacy Football Program provides unique platforms for student-athletes on and off the field in community service, social awareness, education, and football. And it is staffed by many notable former NFL players, including former MSU All-American and a guest on Two Bad Hombres in the past, and Greg Jones. And to find out more info about Legacy Football and all the events they are planning and that are coming up this year and next year. Well, please contact National Director of Football, Justin Sassante, or go to LegacyFootballOrg.com. And then also the Detroit Sports Commission, which was founded in 2001, also one of our finest sponsors here at the DSP Network. And the Detroit Sports Commission has been bringing tons and tons of marquee events to the metro Detroit area since 2001, including the Zenith Prep Kickoff 
Classic, an event, as Doc knows, that I've worked in the past and hope to continue working for the Detroit Sports Commission. And now to find out more about all of the events they are bringing to our very region, once again, the Metro Detroit area, please follow the DSC on Twitter and on Instagram at DET Sports. And make sure to check out the organization's terrific website at DetroitSports.org. And welcome back on Tigers Talk. I'm your host, Vito Geronimo Churko. we got the doc. We've got Kevin in here, uh, his cousin's husband. And, Kevin, a pleasure having you along for the ride once again. And great insight from you in the first half of this week's podcast. Thanks again for having me, guys. It's, it's really great just sitting around talking sports, man. And now we can dive into some Tigers talk here more because really we didn't cover anything Tigers-related too much besides for killing Brad Osmus, the former Tigers skipper, which we love doing here on Tigers talk. But anyways, how about the latest 40-man roster moves made by Alavila and company in the Tigers' front office and some ones that were obvious, like Jose Iglesias officially becoming a free agent, Miguel Cabrera being officially reinstated from the 68 DL, so he's back on the 40-man roster, and we knew that would be the case with this hefty contract, all that money the Tigers owe him until 2020. And then we saw Artie Lewicki, our man Artie, a guy that I've made fun of, I can admit that, who was claimed off waivers by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So all of these latest transactions, 40-man roster moves being made by the Tigers as they enter free agency dock. Yeah, El Avila had said that obviously the deconstruction is going to continue. Obviously, Jose Iglesias, Victor Martinez, no longer part of the organization, but I say, you look at these moves, like, yeah, yawn a little bit. Not real impactful. I don't think nobody's going to be clamoring, calling us up, tweeting us. Artie Lewicki's not on the team anymore. Yeah, Jared Tultamacchio is gone. So these are moves that obviously low-key and uh, obviously now in the offseason, it's very important that Alavila figure out, you know, who's going to be a contributing member of this team in 2019 because 64 wins the last couple years, it's probably going to get a lot worse in the coming years. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, definitely coming into 2019 because, once again, you reflect on the fact they're not going to be willing to spend big bucks to upgrade the roster. And the rotation could use it a little bit, maybe not as much as the bullpen, but the bullpen still is a huge issue, Kevin. And then their lineup, one through nine, I mean, what do you have in the outfield? Victor Reyes, Jacoby Jones, guys that can't hit to save their lives, honestly. Yeah, a lot of uh, offensive liabilities out there, and and obviously I I agree, you know, they're not going to spend the money. Um, what, What direction are they headed uh, with with the Illich group now controlling, we really don't know what their you know passions are, what their thoughts are. We know that Mr. I was a, a baseball, baseball fan, and it was in his heart. Um, now it's more of a business operation, so spending will be down. And I look at this roster, and you know it's that line from uh, Major League, like like who the hell are these guys? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. it's depleted. We don't know these guys' names. Even Doc and I struggle at times, and we've been to games, we've covered games now as part of this podcast network, but. Still, there's guys, you know, from top to bottom on this roster who you're trying to figure out who they are and where they're from. Yeah, Artie Lewicki got claimed by the Diamondbacks. What are they seeing in him? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, wow. He won't last watch. He won't be on the Major League roster come next season. Yeah, understood. Um, have you heard any news about maybe player acquisitions, free agents that maybe might be targeted by the Tigers, maybe to fill that role at shortstop or anybody that could be maybe a backup catcher? Anything of note that you've caught on to? Well, I think backup catcher, they might just, well, how about getting back Jared Salsalamakia, who's a free agent now? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of offseason still to come, and we'll see more and more rumors come as time goes on here in the offseason. But I would say starting pitching-wise, we've talked about it already, and last week we did. And Evan Woodbury, in his latest piece for MLive.com, brought up Edwin Jackson 
as a candidate once again to rejoin the Tigers, who was good, you know, back in 09, had his good stint, and they traded him in that big deal to the Diamondbacks where they landed Max Scherzer, really rejuvenated the Tigers organization moving forward and helped them win those four straight division crowns from 2011 to 2014. But Edwin Jackson isn't too appetizing, Kevin. Wasn't it Edwin Jackson who pitched like a nine-walk shutout or a nine-walk? <laughs> No-hitter. A nine-walk, no-hitter. No he did. With the Rays or D-backs. Yeah. One of the two, he did that with nine walks. I think with the Rays. Yeah. Let's, it still counts, but... Let's bring him back in. I mean, <laughs> Throw a nine based on all the right. yeah, yeah, let's do that again. That's going to draw Kevin's wallet to buy more tickets, right? Yeah. How many games did you go to last year at Comerica? Zero. Zero. Are you a guy that likes to go have some beer and peanuts at the games? It's kind of an interesting situation at Comerica. People do enjoy going, but a lot of people also go and treat the game secondary. Just go have some beers and enjoy the ambiance. I mean, you can get right now. Um, I, I used to always joke with Adam. I'd always say, you know what, when your team sucks, it's really great because you can get $5 tickets, go out to the bleachers and, you know, have a real good time, have some beers for like 20 bucks, and have a real good time when your team sucks. When the team is really good, it's really expensive to go down to watch a sporting event. So I enjoyed myself going down to quite a bit of baseball games, having some beers, real, real affordable tickets, getting in for like 5 bucks. Yeah, and, and I, I had wished, you know, I could have went to a few, you know, time constraints and, you know, we got, we got a baby. Um, but yeah, if the product was a little better, it probably would bring me down there a little more. All right. Maybe May and April, all three of us will go down. We'll, we'll go do, to a game. We'll, we'll not, make that happen. Right before it's over. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, if they're good or not, we'll still be somewhat in doubt. I'll have to give Laura a call and tell her, look, Kevin's got to get away a little bit more. He does watch fantasy football and watch football on Sundays, but he's got to go a couple times a week and watch baseball at America with right. the doc. You think he could write me a script? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll be in make business. It sound, make it look good. The doc can make that happen. Now, what do you think the Tigers should do in this offseason? Coming up here now, you said catcher, backup catcher. Yeah, everybody's saying that in a shortstop because Iglesias is gone, but there's not a lot of appetizing options that the Tigers are probably willing to spend on to get here in Motown. So what do they do and what do they need to do for sure, Doc? And I think uh, something that Ron Gardenheider had said is that he's kind of looking at the landscape of the organization and he's seeing the level of talent and he wants more hitters, more contact hitters. And so that's obviously a situation at shortstop and at catcher. You want a little bit more of a contribution. Um, I definitely want to see what they do with Nick Cassianos if they move his position and see what he does, if he's still going to be on that ball club. But what I'd like to see is more of a team that kind of reflects what Gardenhire wants, a team that can actually run the bases, get from first to second, that can have contact. Because what happens, it is natural in baseball, you see it, is that sometimes teams get over-reliant on the three-run homer. And uh, up and down the organization, Gardenhire evaluated it, and he said, you know what, looking at this ballpark at Comerica, spending more time here now in this 2018 season, we kind of have to add more talent that kind of suits this ballpark, which is a lot more contact hitters, a lot of guys that can fight um, and actually work counts. What did the Red Sox do going back to them? Up and down that lineup, they don't give away at-bats. And several times this year, you and I saw it, Vito, and I know Kevin did too. When you watch a game, there'd be so many times where it'd just be like one, two, three innings, you know, swinging at first pitches, not being uh, properly, not assessing the proper level of aggression that you're supposed to have at the plate. So I just want to see a lot better approach by the talent that's actually out there. Yeah, getting faster, better defensively, and they need that. They need more speed on the base pass, and they still had some guys that clogged the base pass. Not nearly as many now going into next year because Vimar is an expiring contract who's going to retire, so we can finally say goodbye to him. It was a long time coming, and they gracefully let him exit. That was really cool what they did at the end of the season where he didn't play the final 10 or so games. But, I mean, what do you think the Tigers do here this offseason, Kevin? I wish I had a good answer to that. I <laughs> I, I did find in, in Evan Woodbury's piece he had a uh, a really – interesting hypothetical 
where, you know, Castellanos and, and Miggy could, uh, and there were some other players mentioned, but I can't list them verbatim, but um, would play kind of a carousel, you know, with the DH position, because obviously some of these guys have liabilities in the field and, you know, hey, you know, you're really slumping, let's move you to DH, you know, for a couple games or a game, whatever. Um, but but I would like to see them do something like that where, um, so the big roaming outfield of, of Comerica is a liability. You know, you need guys that can field and throw. And, and, and so they're kind of hamstrung by that, you know. But I would like to have them have some kind of interchangeability and mobility. And, like, to Doc's point, up and down the Boston lineup, you know, hitters one through nine. I mean, you you, you got threats there. It, it's not like you get to a certain part of the order and you're like, oh, here's a defensive, here's here's a defensive guy, you know. They all created a threat. I, I wish the Tigers could do something like that. Yeah, when Kevin goes out there for the first time next year, he's going to see a batting lineup, and he sees the batting order, and he's like, 200, 240, 219, 267, 230. And you're like, oh, my God, these batting averages are terrible. And you look at it, you just want a little bit more consistency, guys that can get on base and not have so many games where the opposing pitcher just dominates you. And we want to have fun. We want to be entertained, too. So Miggy and Castellanos will provide that talent, but... All in all, for me personally, and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. I just want them to address the bullpen. If if Alavila just said, <laughs> "We've said for how many episodes? If how many came years out, now straight?" I'll tell your stuff. I'll openly say it, and this is my desire. If he goes out and says, "I want to commit to having a great bullpen, and we're going to go out and get a closer that you know when he goes out there, nine out of ten times he's going to deliver, and it's not going to be you know with runners on first and second and two outs and all the stress that all these bullpen relievers have provided us in the last five years." If he says, "I'm going to go out there and get guys." that are flamethrowers, that can get guys out consistently. Because, look, Shane Green was fine, but there were times where he'd have two and three runners on base, and he was inconsistent. And you looked at it, and you go, man, can we just get a realistic bullpen and be a strength, a top-five bullpen in Major League Baseball? That would make the Doc happy. So you would love that. You would salivate at the mouth over that. I'd, I go, dub- I'd go double as much as to know that, hey, it's a 2-1 game, and it's going to be 7th, 8th, ninth, and there's no worries. And a lot of times when it's dominant, too, when you know, like how Boston has with arms and things like that, just guys that go up there and throw 100 miles an hour and can throw strikes. Rondon could have, you know, he had the goods, but he just couldn't get over the plate. You know, you look at it and you go, man, that guy flamed out. And you throw 100 miles an hour, you can't throw strikes? Come on now. And you look at it and you go, can you get a flamethrower that can actually handle his business and throw strikes consistently? Well, Craig Kimbrell. Dave yeah. Dombrowski finally went out and got a real closer with the Boston Red Sox. Yep. Thank you, Dave D. Yeah. But I digress. I mean, you look at their bullpen options right now going into next season. Shane Green's your closer again? He can't be an effective closer for a major league ball club that's trying to win. Now, if you want to be relevant, he's not your closer. Now, with the Tigers, you can get away with it because you're not trying to win. But he's still stinking. You have to call yeah. it what it is. He stunk up the joint a lot more than he did it in 2018. And Jimenez fell off in the second half. He did, too. He had a 5-something or like 12s. I mean, he had a horrible ERA. He was an all-star for the Tigers in the first half, made the all-star team, and rightfully so. In the second half, he fell off the map completely, Kevin. Yeah, I don't- Personally, I don't want to see any more Shane Green. When I see him, yeah, I'm done with him too. Adios. I know he does that podcast now, but the podcast isn't as good as this one, anyways. So, Adios, he's not bringing any value to the Tigers. He, I think he is a walking gas can. When I see him, I just come in. Yeah, you turn off the TV. It's about to be blowing up. Yeah, go to the fridge and pick up a couple more beers. Yeah, drink your beers, yeah. Laura. Please. Can you give me a couple more beers, please? Right. Shane Green's out. Right. Yeah, please help me. Out. Let me drink here. Hit me but over you, the head with one, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that as well maybe would work. Now, I think for the Tigers, one positive. For this roster going into next year is what you brought up already. Kevin, is a flexibility at DH, which I didn't know, but you did perfectly. I love that point there. 
Miguel Cabrera, Nick Castellanos, Kristen Stewart could be there as well, and numerous options, which a lot of these ball clubs now do. They don't have a permanent DH like Big Poppy David Ortiz. You saw the Red Sox, well, they could use JD there, but when they played in the NL ballpark at Dodger Stadium, JD, guess what? Had to go out there in the outfield. So you want that flexibility at DH. The Tigers will have a lot more that next season because VMart's off the books. All right, Vito, one final topic. Um, very interesting the way the Tigers have been broadcast to the fans. Um, Fox Sports Detroit has been a partner with the Tigers for several seasons, and it has been released. It has been talked about kind of whispers a couple of years back, and now it's to the forefront. The Illich organization is exploring the creation of a new regional sports network that could directly just broadcast the Tigers. They would be the owners, and so they're looking at New York, the Yes Network, MSG, and they're looking at it and going, wow, Fox Sports Detroit pays us $50 million to broadcast, to be a partner, and to have these broadcast rights. If we start our own network, we can maybe even double that every single year, and that just adds revenue to the bottom line. Now, some people are saying it's a great a great idea to do this right now, too, because it also maybe if you don't want to invest the money in a network, you also drive up the price that Fox Sports Detroit has to pay when the deal is up. So it's really a win-win for the Illiches. Now, for the consumer, the part that would upset me is this. Fox Sports Detroit is located on several platforms, Comcast, uh, AT&T, Xfinity, Dish, DirecTV. However, most people uh, consume cable, those that have not uh, cut the cord. You can get Fox Sports Detroit. You don't have to pay $4.99 extra. The part that would piss me off and probably make me make a decision is I'd be like, well, Vito, can you loan me 50 bucks a year if, if, if we got to pay it? But I would probably go, uh, I don't know if I would shell out $3.99, $4.99, $5.99 and add it to the bill that I pay for cable. I'm not sure I would want a new Illich organization to have to pay for it monthly. Well, now when the Tigers and Red Wings are irrelevant, those yeah. are their two major properties for live sporting events in the Metro Detroit area throughout the state. They're in those games, all those home, all those away games. Yeah, nobody's tuning in right now because those teams stink. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I think the product needs to improve. It may be a little bit of a half-baked scheme right now. I, I mean, you want people to join up. And one interesting thing I did read, though, to, to John's point, so Fox Sports has to be divested. There was a merger between Disney and 21st Century Fox. So this contract is up with Fox Sports in 2021. So, and I think there's a lot of moving parts as we talked about the Illich, you know, controlling group now. Are, are they threatening this? You know, like, hey, we, we thought about doing this to drive up the price for the next potential suitor. Or are they trying to make the package more attractive for a suitor to buy the whole team in the organization? You know, we've got Comerica, we've got the team, we've got a network. We're just like the big ballers out back east, mm. and, and, and we're right there with them. So I think there's a lot of moving parts to it. And, and also one more quick thing. Like you said, like paying for it once 50 bucks, that is so true because there's something about reoccurring charges for a service that you're unhappy with that really you'll, yeah. you'll eventually like look at your statement and go, I'm not paying that. That anymore. irks at people. Oh, big time. Yeah. They're way better off trying to get that money up front in a one time charge. That is, yeah. You should send that to them. Because yeah. That great, is a great idea. It's a great idea, point. man, over here. That's that is a great business point. You will get that. Probably up could front get somebody quicker. up front than it is $3.99 a month, huh? I, I totally agree with that. So, Vito, if they do that, should the network pay for it? Should we do it? Should we pay? Uh, well, for the Tigers, yeah, I'm not paying. I guess we pay for the wings, though, too, subsequently. Same. But, yeah, I would pay for it, but uh, would you're you going to have to chip house? in. You're going to have to chip in and help me out. <laughs> exactly. Would your family, you got the big bucks here, but. Would your family pay for it, you think? 
uh, probably not by themselves. I would mm-hmm. have to chip in and say, hey, Dad, I want to get this this bad. But my dad loves the Tigers, too. But it was tough for him watching last year, too, and for everybody that's a Tigers fan. And I think it's a ploy, ultimately, to get more dollars out of FSD. Chris Illich is a businessman, maybe even more than his dad, because his dad didn't care about losing money. He's all about making money. So I think it's more about that for Chris I than winning ball games, and for sure right now, obviously. But I think he's more of a guy with the mindset of making money than his dad even, who made a lot of money over the years. But his dad was, what was he really caring about? Winning at the end of the day. The bottom line for Chris I is the bottom line. You know, how much money he's making and making more than he's losing. So I think that's a ploy to get more dollars out of Fox Sports Detroit. Now, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this, but it kind of reveals to me that Kevin is not really a shady hustler because none of you said either, uh, you, Vito, or Kevin said, look, it's not going to make a big difference. We'll just pirate it anyway. We'll find somebody that yeah, has it. He will. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't doubt about it. He will. I'll find a way, you know, Roku Stick, Amazon Prime. Someone will figure out a way to, you know, stream it for free. So that's what I would do. So I I'm, getting, I'm getting that content. I don't care. However, I'm going to watch the Tigers. I might have to do some, uh, you know, Arabic connection kind of thing, but I'm getting that stuff for free. I'm not paying for it. Yeah, I wasn't sure about your law enforcement audience. I didn't yeah. want to. I didn't want to mention. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to oh, mention Josh anything. Already offended numerous people oh, in Kevin, that department. Uh, the next podcast we record, you're going to be like, "Oh my God, who am I talking to here?" Oh, Kevin, I I pirate UFC, WWE. You got it. You have to. You know, some some bills you're willing to pay, some you're not. I pay for the network. I pay for the wrestling network and uh, Dish Network to watch all the sports and stuff like that. But there are some things you you, you definitely go to Google and go uh, UFC for free. For free. Oh, yeah. For free. And Google it. For free. Yeah. For free. And you know the culture. I'm not paying full price for anything. Exactly. Like, <laughs> at least Doc's willing to admit here, too, that he's yeah. going to pirate anything that he can yeah. possibly to get it cheaper. And a lot of people, though, do just, down deep. They just don't admit yeah. it like this guy, which is well, that's why he does a podcast, right? <laughs> he's willing to admit things that others wouldn't, I, I have guess, no but... problem saying it, baby. For free. Google it. Uh-huh. Find uh-huh. out. <laughs> and I'm willing to admit, Kevin, that it's been a pleasure having you in studio for this week's episode of Tiger's Talk. Hope you enjoyed yourself, have enjoyed all this conversation. His nonsense, a lot more than me, I think. Hey, it was a lot of fun, guys. Really, really, really appreciate it. I had the time of my life. It was a great opportunity. Awesome. Oh, for sure, Kevin. We'll have you back. You seem like you definitely you did the work. I love that you brought the email. You brought uh, preparation, and you are a fan. That's the number one thing is you got the passion. This will not be the last time you step foot in this office. So that's really cool. Well, thanks to all of you guys for being here in studio with me and for all of you out there tuning into this week's episode of Tiger's Talk. Adios.